worries. All right, we're in business. What's up, Will? Literally. How are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. Not quite. <laughs> business of architecture. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. That proper is absolutely throwing it down. Oh in yeah. In London now. Yeah. Okay. We're just walking around, but same here in New York. Don't actually. that. It's uh, really. It's a bit wet today. Oh, that's what I was going to say. That's the one thing you probably wouldn't miss from London. Is just the weather is so bad. Yeah. What's up, Julia? All good, all good. How are you guys? Very good. You're great. Hi, good. Julia. Hey, Julia. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet nice you, well. Awesome. All right, guys. So I'll let a few more people pile in. But yeah, I'm excited for this one. This is uh, kind of a, a part two, isn't it, Julia, from, from the talk we had a few weeks ago. We kind of held ourselves back and because we were going to like touch on this subject exactly. and it's probably been another like hour or two. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a it's a great conversation that we need to have and um yeah, indeed like it it was going to lead to another hour of discussion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so we saved ourselves. And now we are recording, so uh this will not just be lost in the hemisphere. We now have it on on record that we can post up so other people can listen in. Um, so yeah, welcome everybody who's in the crowd to our 21st talk. That's crazy how quickly this is uh, flown by. Rethinking the business model of architecture. And today we've got uh, Will Campon, Campion and Julia DeMaro. I don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, I thought you two would be a really good, uh, really good mix to kind of talk on uh, the subject of rethinking the business model. Uh, to maybe give you guys a little bit of an introduction for those of you who are not familiar with them, uh, Julia, who I think needs no introduction, she's a clubhouse veteran. Um, Julia DeMaro, she's a founder of the IBD Hub. Uh, you are on Clubhouse, YouTube, LinkedIn, talking about. Uh, creating some really amazing content around the topic of architecture and business. Um, as I said before, you trained as an architect and then you kind of went, started to venture over to the business side. Um, you've worked for companies like uh, MDRDV as a biz dev, and you're also teaching on a number of online platforms uh, around this topic. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us today. And then we got Will, who is a fellow bigster in, uh, you're now in the London office. Uh, he's the founder of uh, Campion Design, um, the co-founder of the property and development company Offgrid Works. And you've also been teaching online a bit um, around, you're a course leader at the Business of Architects program in Dubai, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, and you've also just done an MBA, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I did my part one, part two, part three in the UK. And uh, yeah, just finished my MBA as well, just to kind of fill in the gaps. Yeah. Kind of what you want to mention now. Yeah, I don't know if uh, Julia or Will, if you want to add anything to that, but uh, go ahead. I hope I didn't miss anything. No, you did quite well, Ollie. Thank you so much for the introduction. I appreciate it. Awesome, yeah. And then, of course, as usual, we got uh, Guillaume and Faisal. Uh, as usual, Guillaume is tuning in from Arizona, Faisal from Dubai. So we're spreading spreading our wings, as usual, through various time zones. <laughs> so thanks, everyone. Um, so yeah, I think this is a kind of uh, a topic we should actually be dis discussing a, a little bit more. Um, like I said, this came from Julia's uh, last 
um, appearance on on uh, Clubhouse here, where we were talking more about the um, you know digital marketing as architects, and we kind of started to flirt with uh, rethinking the business model of architecture. And you know, it, it's kind of the current way we work as architects is this typical service-based model, right? Where we search for clients that pay us to complete a project and we essentially get paid uh, for our time. Um, and at the same time, you know, we've, as architects, we've kind of relinquished a lot of responsibilities that we used to do, you know, back in, back in the day when we used to be master builders to essentially just focus on design. And at the same time, you know, you're seeing a lot of kind of, you know, everyone is slightly uh, frustrated at being overworked and underpaid. It doesn't really matter what uh, practice you work for, what country you're in. It just seems to be a kind of global um, norm of, of being an architect. Um, you know, in the UK, I, I see a lot of um, the RIBA is, is kind of getting, uh, there's like a, a young group of architects really pushing the RIBA to, uh, rebel against overtime and, and being paid overtime and all that kind of stuff, which I think is great. But I, I think the, the real issue is I, I don't think these businesses are like, you know, uh, not wanting to pay or uh, the, the employees overtime. I just, I don't think the business model could actually support it. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, we're getting young people kind of being put off the profession. We're losing some really great people to other professions now, especially like the, the big tech industry coming into uh, the architecture space. So I felt like, and at the same time, we also are kind of in this era where we, we, we actually really need a lot of architects to be working on sustainable solutions to how we build. Like we're going to need to build faster, more sustainable. And, um, and right now I think we're, we're kind of losing a lot of people to other professions or they're being put off, uh, joining as architects. So that's the kind of, uh, setup for the talk. And I thought we could discuss some kind of potential alternatives to this situation. Um, so I think maybe it'd be good to get your your guys' opinion on what you think the current business uh, business model of architecture is and like why right now do you think it's not quite working for us as architects? Like if there's anything you want to add to that kind of uh, initial introduction, uh, maybe Julia, we'll, we'll, we'll start with you if that works. Sure. Um, I just wanted to give a little bit of background as to why we have this issue, yeah. <laughs> um, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Right. So from from my professional experience and, and, and my opinion, um, what I see is that we are the product of an institution, right? Um, so from the education until we start practicing um, we are part of institutions such as reba and riba and uh, you know bna and whichever in whichever country you are from um, and this institution is very good at not teaching financial wealth um, and business and marketing notions um, and the reason why that is is that of course if uh, architects had the tools to be um, financially stable um, the tools to have businesses that are actually um, gaining money um, that 
they are worth. Um, of course, the whole real estate market, like the prices would be blowing up to incredible proportions. Um, so somehow throughout the years, um, we have not been given this chance to learn finance, business and marketing. Um, and I think that that's where the intention was uh, initially and, and we kind of continued this way. And I think that now, especially since COVID, a lot of people are waking up because there's a lot of talents in the architecture field that want to innovate and that know that um, a better world is, is necessary to build. Um, but they they are still not sure on how to put together a business that is sustainable and that um, is paid correctly within the field. So uh, this is just what I wanted to add to the introduction side of things. Um, this is Julian, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think that's a that's a great point, right? We're just not taught any of this. I mean, Will, we were, we were chatting before about this, actually. We, we're just not taught yeah. anything. Like, I mean, a lot of what we talk about is the technology side of architecture and, um, you know, there, there's a gap on that side as well, but it's nowhere near as bad as actually the business side. Like, you know, you're very rarely taught anything about business until you get, I mean, in the UK, until you get to like maybe a part three or there's, I mean, there's some kind of practice in practice modules that flirt with, you know, business uh, stuff, but it's very broad and like very, uh, simple, like this is uh, an LLC versus a partnership and, and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's interesting for all degrees and all subjects, even since, you know, primary school or high school, we're all taught, you know, nine to five and well, not even nine to five. And then, you know, abiding by the rules and doing the different, you know, responding to a bell. And it's been the same kind of educational system since the Industrial Revolution and you kind of have to go and be employees. That's the thing, which generally works okay in most fields to go and be an employee. But I think our issue is that architecture is kind of a combination of engineering and creativity. So we partially enjoy being doing it, which means some people find additional value other than just monetary things from uh, from working, which means it kind of, some people enjoy doing architecture, which means we don't actually get the passion totally problem. paid because, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which means that, we we do accept lower pay in some better companies because we feel like oh we're going to do cooler projects or sometimes i mean i had an offer from like atelier bow wow in japan but then didn't go because you know they, they don't pay anything but there's plenty of people who would, were still taking those jobs and not getting paid but they enjoyed it at the time and it's kind of a balance between us and being able to monetize our creativity because like we have all these great ideas, but like you said, we don't actually have the business school uh, kind of background to know how to monetize these things because we're actually taught, like most people, just to be employees. So to kind of go that next stage was the reason why I kind of did an MBA. And the people who I met on the MBA, they had great kind of backgrounds com coming from Apple or Tesla or something and were pretty well remunerated anyway, but they didn't actually have the ideas to run their own companies, but they had, uh, you know, all of the degrees necessary. Whereas we kind of actually have a lot of ideas and we're taught to just solve, constantly solve problems creatively, like a, a funnel where we just absorb the zeitgeist and all this information and try and create a 
architectural solution to these usually abstract political and socioeconomic problems when actually we could uh, with the, just a little bit of help where people telling you how to properly finance and properly uh, market things you could actually uh, get a lot of startups out of the architecture industry and then it would stop people becoming enfranchised thinking they're completely stuck in a profession where they're not going to earn enough to even pay off their student loans or uh, to even ever start their own company if they don't have huge family fortunes to rely on and so it's it's a little bit of a of a balance between uh yeah the passion project side of it and then also having the necessary tools to actually monetize our creativity and it's also kind of compounded by uh you know the fact that we're not our own clients and we're having to fight for competitions and we're doing a lot of free work trying to get competitions which is the kind of the iconic egotistical projects that we really want to do and the cool projects and we end up doing a lot of work for free so yeah it's, it's an interesting there's a bit of an issue with the profession but i think it's becoming a case where the most responsible thing for us to do as architects going forward is to try and find sustainable scalable business models that we can do which helps society and then uh, that will help basically finance the way to do uh, sort of competitions and more kind of uh, riskier projects because it's it's tough uh, i mean big does a really good job but you know there could be a few bad competitions away from not having enough cash flow to cover you know projects and know fosters went through those issues chipperfield goes through issues like that zaha all these companies where if you you know have a really really few bad years it can be not win any competitions for no fault of your own yeah. it can be really tricky so i feel like it's good that we can try and we have the ability to do it but just with a little bit of a push in the right direction i think we can uh, actually do something help the world and also get properly remunerated for it make the world a better place but also get rich <laughs> i think yeah exactly i mean that's why elon musk is like the best yeah architect in some ways yeah yeah that that was a that's an interesting quote um and i i think you know when you compare like elon musk for example compared to bezos they're two very different billionaires <laughs> and and how they've gone to that is is like yeah. two very different routes which i think n- not everyone kind of appreciates sometimes when you when you talk about uh you know these kind of famous uh, billionaires but um i think he makes some really good points in uh, a couple of you know as you were talking um i mean going back to education it seems like everything actually kind of stum- stems from uh rethinking architectural education which i mean that's a whole other talk in itself but you know especially when we're talking about um you know, a number of issues are kind of coming from university that just needs to be rehauled and and rethought about adding uh, some new skill sets to to young students coming out of it. But I, I do kind of agree that um, whilst I understand it, architecture is a difficult profession to like come out of university and start your own practice because it it is a profession that requires a, a fair bit of experience. Hence, why like you know most well-known architects are not <laughs> you know they're not like uh, what we call super young they're, they're like well into their 40s or something before, you know the typical architect yeah. is, is like what Bjarke is a 
the child. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, Bjorka was like one of the only to, and and you know he started to emerge in his in his thirties, and so it's not like you know you've got some twenty-one-year-old kid coming out of school and and creating the next best thing. And and I get it. It's it's a little bit difficult to uh, to do that in the world of construction where it's it's high risk uh, stuff. But I do agree that like, uh, and I've never kind of you know the the, the idea that you're just constantly fishing. I, I wouldn't say begging, but you're kind of like constantly uh, convincing these developers, clients, and companies or whoever they are to like uh, give you a project so you can you can work on this amazing project that you really want to work on. It, it just, it never seemed like, I, I felt like there's got to be a better way to do this. And I think your, your point on the startup thing is, um, is great. I think what we do as architects is actually, it's that, it's that idea. It's the, the big vision. Um, it's that big concept. So when you think about spending, like we basically do create these little startup packages, uh, but unfortunately it's just missing uh, a chunk of pages on the back that's the business plan <laughs> but we create the bit that people get really excited about especially like with a lot of the things we actually visualize the idea or uh, whatever it is so I do really think that the future could be like maybe you could come out of university and yeah you're not starting a, a full-blown architecture practice or a construction company but you are creating some kind of you know, archie based startup that, that could grow into something. Um, but yeah, we're yeah. just architecture, architecture school is very much about get an awesome portfolio, maybe get shortlisted for some award or something. So you could get a awesome job at like a well-known firm. That's pretty much like, that's the dream at university, isn't it? Just to get hired by someone. <laughs> yeah, there's very few exactly. people that, that I could remember were even thinking about, starting a business out out of university or like a few years out of university um, can i jump yeah. in real okay. quick yeah yeah i just hear a lot of no disrespect no disrespect but i hear a lot of excuses yeah <laughs> so i hear like because it's it's what everyone says right like uh, oh you cannot start your own company as soon as you start finish uni and um we love our jobs so a lot of people take advantage but if you think about all other fields yeah um other people like their job too and yet they don't get you know advantage uh, from by companies so we need to stop with excuses in order to move on because that is part of the problem right um we are programmed not to know how value um through university and through these huge companies that just don't want you to tell you that you're a good designer or they don't want to tell you that the job that you did is um good enough so um i feel like the first step to to rethink um, the business model and and empower each other is going to be to first stop with excuses because if you really want to create your own company or if you really want um, to be paid in the right way when you go in a company. Um, you can right um and it's the same when you say oh we have to convince developers no you don't have to convince anybody if you know your value and you're really um 
good at communicating it through your brand, um, people will queue at your door to to work with you. So I feel like we very often we we put that as a as a you know uh, an excuse and we don't move forward. So that is for me part of the problem. The second problem is also the fact that most university they don't want to change, right? So you know I have um, had many conversations across many countries to try to install a business development and marketing course, for instance. And out of all these universities, there is only one that has allowed to do a master of business of architecture. Only one in the whole world, guys. <laughs> so, you know, um, we need to then um, solve the problem in the professional ground because the education field is too old fashioned to to get things moving on and it's not in their advantage as well. So that, that's the only thing I wanted to point out. Yeah, I think that's that's true. I mean, I, I started my company at 21, well, at uni, like architecture company, because I mean, the start is I never, well, I was the first year in the UK to pay triple fees. So it was like a necessity where I felt I kind of needed to pay for the student loan. So, I, and I had the opportunity to come to me and I never thought that it, I knew it'd be difficult, but it was an immense opportunity. So I took it at 21 and then built the house and then that's free advertisement. And then, like you said, if you can actually do that, and I'd never heard of anybody who had done it, you can it kind of compound. And then when I got my offer from MIT, they still, they had never heard of anybody ever building a house sort of that young and then having multiple clients going forwards at 21 22 and then it was only from yeah working in new york and then uh realizing that you know to go beyond yeah you can do it initial houses for people and actually that was i was earning way more money doing that than in practice um it was then to go to the next level of i had you know instagram is now an amazing tool uh, which people didn't exist even really five years ago so it was getting most clients even through that and it was super cheap and advertisement was easy and that was more sustainable. It was just getting to the next level beyond just a sole proprietor. That That's when I decided to do the MBA and then also realizing that we're kind of in a cyclical industry and to try and you know, in, insulate myself that that's when I realized that we could actually have the ability to vertically inter integrate and I could actually just buy land myself and then just develop that instead. And then through doing that also, uh, you know, investigate new construction techniques and try and build houses faster and try and alleviate housing crisis here. So, yeah, I, I, um, I agree. I think a lot of it is, yeah, it is, there are a lot of excuses where you can say, oh, no one's ever told me that I, I could do this, but yeah, sometimes you just gotta, you just gotta go for it. And it is possible, actually, with what I teach on my course is when there's so many students who come out with amazing ideas from university and then I help them write their uh, business plan and then they can start kind of putting it into practice and then they realize, oh, actually, it's not a completely abstract thing. It, it is actually possible for me to do it because there's plenty of people who have launched tech companies with absolutely no sort of expertise.
and I think we do have the the ability to do it, and definitely the like going through crits and reviews and having to actually really fight your corner all the time for university really prepares you for uh, sort of showing off your own skills and your own business ideas. Um, yeah, I think it's just a case of yeah trying to inspire people. I think that was the thing that most people take away from my course was them being inspired that they could actually do it. And I think a lot of the time we're taught, oh, we have to go through part one, part two, part three, work in practice, hopefully earn a bit of money, then try and start a thing. But I think now it's great to really use Instagram as an amazing tool for sharing off and, uh, and getting a bit of a base and then trying to just trying to build anything that we can if our options come. And then off the back of that, try to eventually you know, help the world instead. I think previously people would have to just take time off work, try and do competitions, try and networking. But I think now with social media, you can network so much quicker and faster and broader than ever before. So yeah, I think now is will be like a golden age for, for architects. I think if we hang around a little bit too much, there's going to be this redundant class of architects where BIM completely like reduces the amount of architects we'll ever need or uh, you know computational design so uh i think the more that we can start to innovate now and you know analyze the different issues in society and work on solutions and then actually formulate that into a business plan and sit down and think you know what would my mission statement be or positioning statement be for a company and actually you could actually be your own client as an architect rather than just waiting for somebody to give you permission to do something actually just uh, doing it yourself so i think that's that's one thing as an architect we're always waiting we have to wait for so many permissions for somebody to tell us to i'll design this cool thing or this cool statement that you're going to do when actually i think now there are the, the tools out there to uh, almost be our own clients and you bring very good example like you said that you like build a house yourself and then that you know you're planning on buying land and that's the thing that fascinates to me in architecture is that a lot most of the money in, in the architectural world is uh in the construction act and in the real estate um and like the architect is trying to get a piece of it in some way or try to you know convince people that designing something um just you know to to make it better obviously and and there is value there but the actual money is mostly in construction and real estate and we have very little understanding on kind of the finance behind these things um you know you work on big project and obviously people have to price it or you're given kind of the general guideline of what the developer wants and you as you say you kind of like follow the rules but I think there are architects that start to develop. I mean, there. I, I just switched to a design build office, so I'm kind of, mm. <laughs> that was out of the curiosity I have. It's like, can you start to understand what it means to build and the finance behind that and then offer solutions where you fully understand all these constraints and you can play with them? Um, there is a lot of time on project where, you know, Obviously, design something, obviously, is way too expensive. And it's someone who tells you it's too expensive. But you have very little understanding of 
you know where where this money is spent and and how to leverage and if you have a good contractor he would probably give you a little bit of insight but in general it's like really difficult to you know they they control the numbers and they don't really want you to get into them so i think if you yeah. have control over that and you're able to you know understand it and create architecture that's great but also understanding the kind of financial impacts of what you're doing um is a kind of like next level to me and it seems like you're kind of on this path right yeah i think so i think that would be yeah because i started looking at it and you know, I'd sp- i had friends who were you know in like running hedge funds and that's kind of where a lot of the money comes from from you know big for the big projects that we do where it's like a big investment company and they promise certain returns to their investors and they're basically pooling all these billions together because it's it's not and then they that goes to a property developer who then hires the architect etc um but then you know we could you can almost kind of cut out the middleman if you are the one who's really selling this stuff and you already have you have a lot of the vision and i mean in the uk it's kind of a unique issue but there's a lot of uh, planning regulations here it's very difficult to build but i found that through my expertise i had very good insight into what what like land could be built on and it's massively undervalued and i think most of the architects actually do have that knowledge because that's our job is to find out what building sites could be planned on and built on and then i found this land that was actually just dirt cheap because nobody thought that they could build on it but i thought that i could you just had to design something appropriate so I got it super cheap and then just fought for a whole year and literally have only just got planning on it now. And most of that is because, uh, you know, there's, there's regulations which are in favor of sustainable, innovative buildings. So if you just have to design an exceptional, you know, an innovative building and they'll give you planning. And that's really only the job of an architect. It's difficult for a property developer to analyze that and say, oh, yeah, I can buy this land because I'm pretty sure I can get a, this ephemeral thing, which is like an innovative, uh, sustainable building but an architect doesn't know that so it's just kind of weird that we spend so much time uh invested in sort of uh things that are very very high risk like a, a competition where we do so much work free where we could have actually invested very small amount of this because the land is like a style, only a few thousand pounds you know not talking hundreds of thousands to actually buy parcels of land ourselves and that creates actually a sustainable workflow because you're just buying pieces of land and developing it and you're developing much more beautiful, better buildings for people because you're not constrained by uh, investors you know, who want specific returns. And you actually have more control over you know, the, the end product rather than a client who's fundamentally paying you by the hour. Um, so actually that kind of vertical integration is, is qu- quite easy for us, but you, you, know, you just have to kind of get an understanding of what, what the finance modeling is. And... Uh, that's where the kind of business plan is because even if you said oh i found this really cool piece of land but i can't afford it but i've got a pretty sh- definite i can get planning on it you could still go to a bank and get a loan from it and build the land or you could even go to an investor there's loads of there's what we don't realize you know in the capital markets just so much money flowing around i mean that's the whole point of billionaires is that they're putting more money into these industries and they want to um invest in these kind of projects if you said oh yeah i can guarantee you know 20 returns because actually property development is super uh, lucrative especially in the uk um you, we could actually kind of start being our, our own developers a little bit more 
and we'd get better quality buildings uh, and the results. So that's that's kind of what I started to realize when I, people would hire me to get planning on a super difficult site. And I was putting in so much effort, so much work. And it was, whereas they were standing to earn hundreds of thousands of pounds by just sitting there and letting me do the work. And I was, you know, you're only getting, you're getting paid by the hour. And I thought, well, the land was cost them next to nothing. I could have actually just put the fees that I made, bought the piece of land and then put my effort in. And then you're also way more incentivized to do the work. Um, and yeah, so definitely the first thing they should start with is trying to build your own house as well. And my plan going forward will be to then, once you've got your own house, you can you know, finance against that and you can build more houses. And that's actually this secret that we have as architects is we're masters of construction and construction is, has consistently been one of the most profitable industries across the world, uh, especially real estate. Yeah, that's... And we can, um, we can kind of get more slice of the pie. That, that's a great point. And that, that seems to me like the, the low hanging fruit of, of like how to kind of rethink the business model is we take back some of the things we used to do and become architect developers. Actually, a really great book on this is literally called Architect uh, Developer. It's an AIA book. Um, it's really good. I think you can find it on Amazon. The cover is like just all black, um, <laughs> but a classic architecture book. But um, that's that touches on some of this is really interesting. And I always thought the same thing. Well, actually, I was like... Uh, you know, I've been abroad um, from the UK for a while now, but like, you know, when I was here and I'd catch up with friends back home, uh, you know, when you get to that age where everyone's like starting to buy apartments in London or, or um, you know, they're all going outside of London because they can't afford it. And, and I was like, oh, cool. You should build some, build somewhere. And they're like, what, do you think I'm a millionaire? Like, how am I going to build something? I can't even afford to, to buy it. And I was like, well, that's the one time as architects we actually have an opportunity to put in that sweat equity and and make a bit of money on on our project and you know you have that exactly what you're saying that skills and expertise but even my friends as as architects no one even considered that they thought like oh that that's not possible till you're like you know you've had a couple of houses you sell them and paid off your mortgage and and that kind of thing um which that's true because yeah i wasn't even fully aware, but it's development finance as well, where banks, you know, they'll loan you money to build the house. Um, if you bought a piece of land that has no planning permission on it and you get planning on it, it suddenly goes up in the value anyway. You can loan against that as collateral. And then you, um, you know, then you build the house with development finance from a bank. And then, yeah, you can then, yeah, the house then is probably going to be worth twice as much as the actual construction costs, even in remote rural England, which is where I'm looking at. So, and then you've actually got that, you know, capital available to do something else. And that, I mean, that's just on a personal level, but, uh, you know, as an architecture company, uh, that's also something would be good to expertise to kind of, you know, you're in a cyclical industry. So we're kind of quite exposed to recessions and economic shock because, you know, construction is usually something that, you know, when there's a bit of more risk, people do slow down annoyingly. Uh, but if we started to look at, you know, starting to develop a little bit more i think for starters we'd get better houses better quality houses right. more sustainable more innovation but and we would actually start to uh you know not be lurching around where during a pandemic where there's a slight downturn we're having to make 
everybody redundant and then hiring them back when it, it kind of comes back up again. I mean, that's when developers and, make uh, their money, isn't it? They, they invest into land yeah. during a downturn. And uh, and it's that classic yeah. saying of a, a, a great a great client makes a great project. And if you are your own client, then <laughs> in theory, you should be a pretty good product because you know, you're, you're not yeah. having to kind of, you know, you're, you're your own boss, but I guess there's a danger you might over <laughs> overbuild or over design things, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, it is also tricky because, I mean, I was looking, I went to Bath Uni and we do a lot of you know, detailed design and structural design, uh, but even all the way through part three, when we don't learn that much about planning, for instance, and a lot of that was self-taught um but yeah once you kind of get the hang of it we're supposed to be experts in these fields anyway so that that's kind of yeah that vertically integrated to uh property developer is the quickest way and then also the way the contracts are written in the uk it's also very difficult to find good contractors who will build so that's why i realized that you know when we're tendering and we're uh contract administrators and we're watching what you know, all of the contractors are doing. I realized that actually I used to work on site as well as a laborer, uh, as a as a kid and, um, and going forwards. And I thought, yeah, I could just start my own construction company anyway. So that's that's my next step is to completely vertically integrate. And then, then you've got a completely sustainable, scalable business model where, um, you know, profits, if profits are obviously lower in an architecture company, then you can divert from, you know, the construction or from, from property development and it's kind of you know and it's all the same kind of skills but it just meant that i think when i've spoken to a lot of people they're kind of scared about you know, raising capital and because we have it's you know going to university i met a lot of anti-capitalists or just people who you know you want to help the world and you think we're actually kind of scared of the markets or not entirely sure how they work but uh, it can actually, you know, it can actually work in your favor and banks will lend to people and there's even investors out there and there's loads of property developers or investment companies that would easily, if you had a good business model in these sorts of industries, they'll give you money. That's that's what's, um, that's what we had only started to realize, you know, the past few years. Like when I started my company, I just lurched into it thinking, oh yeah, this is what we do, we just pay by the hour. And then now when you look at it, you think, Actually, we can we have really good ideas. We can write good business plans for concepts or uh, ideas that we have, and then we just approach uh, funders. And even I've just been sending off funding applications to the UK government, and they're giving out you know, millions and millions of pounds for anyone who's in the UK or any registered businesses here uh, for smart grants for companies that are trying to do something innovative. And it's just no questions asked, just grant money. So. Um, and that's something which never, you know, really considered previously, even you know, Cambridge, that you just have to do your part one, part two, part three and work. And that's, that's the, your life. But actually there's, there's another way, which could be really exciting. Yeah. I think there's that. Oh, go on, Gina. Sorry. I was wondering oh. if I can give some practical um, steps for the ones that are listening. Absolutely. We're, oh, yeah. we're talking very specific. So, um, I think that's um, 
you know, one book that is very interesting for people to read, um, I already gave it to a couple of people in the audience, actually. Um, it's called uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that that's really an eye-opener of how to start investing um, in real estate and, you know, purchasing land or uh, purchasing a house um, and, and find benefit in it. And it also teaches you how to start with no money at all by uh, getting in contact with um, people that would be ready to invest, right? So uh, I know it sounds weird, but if you have a very good opportunity of a good land or a good building that uh, can be refurbished or can be uh, rented for a high price, um, you can always find people, whether it's within uh, your network or within um, uh, investment companies that would be able to uh, um, basically pay cash for the property or the land and you would just get a percentage for, for, for bringing the deal. And what that does is that the more you accumulate these deals, the more you start having money to then be the investor uh, yourself. So I think it's a great book um, to read. Um, and Ali, I wanted to also talk about because last time we touched on it was um on crowdfunding so um how can you buy a land or an existing building um by putting together uh several people and raise the the right money um to buy to purchase it um and that's called crowdfunding as well so um, you know, it's important um, to do the research and think outside of the box. I think as architects, sometimes we stay too much within the architecture field and, and that's all. So um, it's always interesting to look at what other people are doing in real estate. Um, another book is Real Estate Titans, um, which is uh, apparently really great. It was um recommended by a property developer in London. I haven't finished it yet. So, um, but, you know, there are a lot of resources out there to then understand how uh, people like Will did it. And I think um, that that is key to, to really bring down the barriers, right? So you cannot rule something out um, if you don't do the right research. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that. No, that's really good. Yeah, the Rich Dad Poor Dad. He's um, this genius book. And then there's also the, the Four Hour Work Week, which is kind of also interesting. Tim Ferriss is kind of good. It's, it's slightly um, different, but it it kind of helped me just you know talking about, like I said, own, more asset owning and um, you know just passive incomes and just different kinds of revenue streams and things like that, which we don't really think about when we're just in a service industry and exchanging you know, time for money, which is, you know, we only have so much time, yeah. which is very difficult. Um, so it's good to kind of say that. And yeah. Um, I know we've got some few hands that have been raised. We'll, we will bring you up on stage in a minute. I just want to uh, kind of keep the conversation going at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think there's a couple really good. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of threads to follow there. I think, um, 
Julia, what you touched on the crowdfunding is a re- you've got kind of, you know, we're kind of talking about a few different solutions. Like there's the flirting and getting into the architect developer world, uh, which I think is, is a really nice way to, to start things and get things going and ultimately become your own boss. Um, then as Julia mentioned is, is the kind of maybe more startup route where you uh, crowdfund an idea or, or funding or something like that. I think obviously we're talking on a technology channel. I think there's some really interesting technologies that are like converging with this at this time. You know, of course you've got platforms like Kickstarter and Indiegogo, but there are platforms like that specifically for real estate, for example. Um, one of the other things I, I've always been interested in, and Judo, we've we've talked about this a couple times, is um, the idea of of uh, and and kind of what we touched on as uh, with the student projects is like, um, you know, you spend all this time doing a competition, and and this idea you 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 compete against like a hundred different architects, and hopefully you get this contract to work on this project or whatever it is. But really, if you spent that same time. Uh, could you come up with like a, a cool idea for a startup and, um, you know, publish it, put it out there and, and after the fact, uh, try and uh, bring in a client or an investor and, and make it into a project yourself, a, a prospective project kind of approach. And we've seen like, you know, this is nothing really new, I guess, that, that architects are doing this. I think uh, Chris Preck is a good, a good example of that, where... Um, one of the projects he did recently was the Burt House, or this Burt, Burt, not not Burt House, Burt House, <laughs> which is like these uh, CLT tubes that like are kind of these getaway spaces in the forest. And they he made that project, and it was just like a fun thing that they did. Uh, they pumped some time into the idea, made some kind. Oh, sorry, made some kind of uh, nice visuals and put it out there, and then they kind of went and found, uh, you know, I don't know exactly, but an investor or someone that, that connected it to a company. And now, um, if you follow his Instagram, they've just built like the first couple ones. So that same time that you, that, that theoretically he could have put into a competition, he put into this prospective idea and now he, it's, it's their own business or he's part of a business, you know, obviously I don't know the, the exact details of it, but that as well seems like a, a way more kind of um, innovative and an entrepreneurial approach and also a more impactful approach. Like the starting a business and, and creating a startup at the moment in society seems to be the most effective way to uh, make change on society, right? Um, and so I think that that's also a really interesting part. And again, it ties into that same thinking of, of uh understanding how to crowdfund and uh, creating your own start- startup and making that business model. So again, it's tying into the same thing, but I think it's just an interesting, um, slightly different avenue that you could add to the, a typical um, business model of, of an architecture practice, right? I think you're really right, Ollie. And, um, you know, with, with my clients, we work on a different model. So um, there are a lot of... Um, property developers that um, think it is risky to, um, you know, pay um, an architect up front um, for the work that they do before they actually sell the building or rent the building. 
So more and more, what we find is property developers that are open for architects to um, have shares of the building that they're developing instead of being paid as much as they would. And I don't know if you realize, but like architects are paid, you know, between eight and 12% of construction costs. But in this case, you would be paid a percentage on the value of the building once it is finished, right? So um, a building that costs 9 million to be built um, is worth much, much more, probably four times more uh, when it's finished. So your percentage uh, and your gain in this for taking the risk um, yourself is much like the benefit is is greater and of course it is a bigger risk but um i think that people that really make good money are the risk takers so people that um you know are are wanting to to take the 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 challenge and it's less risky than doing competitions because you're not faced to anybody else right so yeah, yeah, that is yeah. a business We were model. in a room, weren't we, Julia, where we were talking to some developers and they, they put that out there and nearly every architect was yeah. like, no way. And I was like, wait, that's a, that's a, I know. <laughs> that's a great idea. I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a mindset. Again, it's a mindset of the architect. Um, because we have been taught and programmed to do things the yeah. way that we are doing There's also, a, so, I don't know, it's yeah. a bit of a folktale. I, I think it is true, but I know, um, I heard that Bjarke, when he did the VM house, they actually um, took a, they, they took that approach. And I think he, supposedly, he, he um, took one of the apartments as the payment or something something like that like he got one of the apartments or, or a percentage so he got a couple of apartments or whatever of the block uh that they built as their fee i don't know i don't have the exact facts i don't know if kai is in the audience he might know but um uh that's true i i remember that um i think he uh, mentioned it in the podcast yeah he lived in the project um, for a, for a few years as well which i was like damn i would absolutely do yeah. that for a for a nice little penthouse suite <laughs> to find somewhere that's it. Exactly. I mean, that's what Shop has been doing as yeah. well. That was their shop, business model. From I was, the that's what I was always interested in Shop Strange. about this, but and and they did do some of that stuff where they started to go architect developer. They also created Shop Construction, which um, I think they had a few mm. uh, legal issues or, or something like that. But then what, what was weird is yeah. they've that, that's what always excited me about Shop, but. Now I look at shop and they just, they're a very typical architecture firm of, you know, from the outside, it just seems like, you know, getting projects and back to competitions and that mm. kind of stuff. So that's the thing. Like I, I had them um, have one client like that and, you know, the contract, which I wrote, it was just, I gave them an option of, you know, how much equity in comparison to my feet. So they either pay me more upfront and then more equity later down the road, or it's more upfront now and then less yeah, you know, less partnership down the road. And they were, you know, way happier to do that because, you know, it's less risk for them up front. And, um, you know, they were able to decide. And a lot of it was almost just, you know, enough to cover your expenses. So, 
you know, even if they go ahead with a property, you're actually going to keep, you know, break even. And then there's a equity down the road. It's just more of a speculative approach. It's just, I mean, the standard form of agreement by REBA doesn't allow you to do these sorts of things. So you have to to go a little bit off road. To play devil's advocate, like, you know, we've we've all worked in practice. You know that, like, you know, less than 10% of what you work on or whatever actually moves forward. So obviously you can, you, you know, yeah. I guess it would be a kind of venture fund approach where like <laughs> 10 die and, and one <laughs> one company lives and, and becomes the Facebook or whatever. Or, um, you know, it, it would yeah, obviously exactly. have to be, would you say, do you think it would have to be supplementary or, um, you know, that is a sustainable approach? Yeah. I think it's good to have a balance. Right. I know you said it's more sustainable than... Then competitions where it might be one in ten, and then uh, um, yeah, and also it's like also there's also a lot of time wasters who will just want you know free time of you, so they might say, oh yeah, I'll get you equity down the line, but actually you've got to kind of do your research and make sure their funding is solid, you know how they're actually going to build, and uh, just having a little bit of awareness at the person because there have been people who say, oh yeah, you know I'll give you you could give it a portion down the road, but then. You know, they're just kind of making it up as they go along, yeah. get free work. But generally, yeah, it's it's way better and it's more speculative and it means that you're more incentivized to work because you're more likely if you said in the UK, oh, yeah, it's no win, no fee, so you pay me if you get planning permission and it's a proportion of the value of the land, uh, then you're more incentivized to work. They think you're more incentivized to actually get planning and design something good. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely more win-win. I think it's definitely becoming more of a thing in the UK, but um, like you said, we're kind of risk averse. We think, oh, it's, you know, architecture is hard enough anyway, but we're kind of not actually making it, making it harder on ourselves than it's supposed to be. You know, like you said, all other industries. I mean, also as, as a young architect, so, um, you're going to speculate. Yeah, as, a, as a young architect, just creating your own practice, yeah, you, you have that risk. room to take risk, I think. And, and the payoff could be a lot, you know, quite significant. Whereas, you know, you spend exactly. the equivalent time of doing a free competition or, or you know, a couple of free competitions or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I think, that yeah. Sounds true. Sorry, Ali, um, I, I did want to ask about sort of the crowdfunding. Is that why we don't see it as much now then? Or are there other sort of challenges that come with that? Because I feel like with social media, it, it's almost like a cheat code for architects to gain a large platform with large following and then use that to sort of crowdfund their projects, or even with things like NFTs and cryptocurrency and smart contracts, it gives architects another option, right? So I guess, why don't we see that as much with, you know, the newer generation? Is there other challenges that come with that? Or is it just the sort of inherent um, uh, fear of risk, I guess, that we have as architects? Or maybe we're not educated in that enough. Uh, what do you think it is that sort of keeps architects from really exploring that, that avenue? Um, can I answer? <laughs> yes, please. Well, I think uh, it's partly ego. <laughs> I think that a lot of architects, they don't want to share their ideas. They don't want to share their startup. They don't want to share their own company. Um, so partly that. Um, and uh, the second part, I think, is... Um, the lack of knowledge in terms of how to manage all the stakeholder and um, really have like a business plan to raise the right money um, 
and the marketing skills to uh, advertise it so that um, you manage to raise the capital. So um, at least that's from my perspective. I think, yeah, I think that's true. I mean, we did, yeah, there's one thing I thought about that if, you know, if it's going to sell houses, it's way better doing it through crypto. If you if you did have that like a crowdfunding thing where you said there was a crypto specifically for housing and you know people who want houses are going to buy it and then the people who currently own it it's just going to accumulate in value rather than deflationary you know fiat currencies but i think you know just have it, it takes a long time to even learn how to you know, build the buildings and and uh, do the detailing so some people are so focused on that that yeah we haven't we're not really thinking but i think it's good to have these kind of discussions and um like you mentioned before, the future architects front. I know Charlie from Cambridge who organised that. They were the ones who pushed for overtime pay in the UK, and they just did it through social media and memes, basically. And eventually, people listened, and then they actually made change that way. But their marketing is was you know, incredible. But that was mainly through memes, which was, but that actually created a great change in the architecture industry here over the past couple of months. And so. I think, uh, yeah, before we didn't think it was actually possible, but I think it's we can kind of see now that actually it is accessible and we can do things. People are proving that you can do these things. Uh, you just got to, like you said, do a bit more of a business plan and actually sit down about thinking what our actual aims we want to achieve are and then work out a strategy to, to, um, to achieve I think it's that. also from, from maybe like a technology standpoint i think um you know whilst doing crowdfunding for real estate and because I, I was looking into this a while back in in kind of 2017 2018 there's like companies like crowdlord in the uk and a few other of these platforms um which you know it, it's not that difficult to set up a platform where you can crowdfund these things and but of course you know, the technology is always ahead of sometimes the, the law and all these other kind of things and real estate is is a little more complex. So I know in the UK, like there was a bit, and, and in the US, there was like a couple big, um, you know, changes in the law or whatever. I don't know the specifics that, that kind of made it a little, little bit more accessible to people. I think, you know, our very first talk, talk here on on ATN was uh, about blockchain and architecture. Maybe we should have a revival, Faisal, because um, it keeps kind of coming up. But <laughs> but I think yeah, cri like cryptocurrencies. I actually did a big school recently in in the office on uh, blockchain and architecture. And and even in that first talk, I don't know Guillaume and Faisal if you remember, we were talking a lot about cryptocurrency for like a cryptocurrency that's backed by real estate that could be used for crowdfunding and stuff. But like people would, were more interested in NFTs at that time because it was it was just like everyone was doing NFTs and like oh man we could sell images and <laughs> but to me blockchain is going to be a huge part of um, I think it's it's most impactful in the the real estate uh, arena and there are a few companies in the UK I feel like the the UK is pushing and adopting blockchain a little bit more um, but yeah I. Can I yeah, just yeah. add go, go, to go. that, Ali, when you're done? Um, yeah, in terms of cryptocurrency, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult topic, right? Because I mean, I'm working on on a new kind of crypto at the moment, and you know, you have very strict 
um, regulations that don't um, allow you to pay for real estate with crypto. Um, because, yeah, you cannot do background check on, on people. Um, so it, it makes it difficult. And also um, the, the other thing is that uh, creating a coin um, takes a lot of marketing skills in a way because you have to create a story that people will support. You have to create a community that believes that that crypto is worth something. And then um, you need to release it in different phases for it to really, um, you know, expand and gain value. Because if there is like only 20 people that have the coin, it's not going to be worth anything at all. So it's a lot of learning curve and it's a lot of, you know, um, it's a lot of effort. It's not something that you can just do for the sake of doing in a way so it has That's its, the thing its especially in the real estate world the technology that. is always way further ahead and then everything has to catch up for it to be implementable at, at some point um but yeah that's super exciting we'll definitely maybe we should do a revival of a of another we'll go full circle and do another blockchain talk <laughs> um all right so i see we have a few questions sorry for the people that raised their hands i just wanted to let the conversation go but um yeah if uh, julian will you got some time we can we can uh field a few questions from the audience if you do have a question put your hand up and uh, we'll bring yep. you onto stage otherwise um t or, or hung do you want to add anything to the conversation or got a question yeah, thanks. Uh, great conversation, and thanks for having me. Um, uh, I was just curious about the p political side of architecture involvement, because uh, a lot of laws and regulations actually hinder architects from uh, from having certain like rights or power to their to the projects. So I was wondering what your thoughts on that were and how you think we, we can involve ourselves in politics to help uh, help our profession along. Because in Texas alone, and I'm sure it's different everywhere, um, architects can be bypassed if the, the building is under 20,000 square feet. So a lot of projects end up not having architecture involvement. Um, and I'm done speaking. Yeah, obviously, it's a. I mean, so you're saying? Did you say uh, if the product is under that that amount, then an architect doesn't have to be involved? Um, but I mean, I know the there's this statistic that floats around that like less than, um, you know, not ninety less more than ninety percent of buildings that are built around the world uh, don't use an architect at all. Um, I think that's specifically residential. But um, I mean to. From what you explained, I, I guess that doesn't, you know, that 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 doesn't stop you from from kind of creating your own thing and and as an architect getting into that house building yourself. Um, I know there are like some architects that are kind of, for example, in the UK space um, that are kind of in the political world, but I mean. I always think that it's it's like the government, it doesn't matter where you are in the world, the government moves so slowly. Of course, it is a critical part. So you need, you know, advocates in uh, in that space. But 
the government works so slowly that, like I said before, like the best, you know, vehicle for making change in the world is a business or like some kind of startup or, or, or movement. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't know, Will and Julia, if you have a kind of thought on that, but I mean, yeah. a little bit different because um, planning sorry. can be very political, right? Um, you kind of like go to your local um, borough and, and kind of, you know, have a conversation with the planning officer and all this kind of stuff. But um, yeah, maybe I'll let you guys jump in. Personally, I have witnessed um, that if you are within the, 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 you build relationships with the political um, people, whether it's municipalities or institutions, um, and you have a very good relationship with some real estate developers that themselves have a lot of political relationships um it definitely helps because at the end of the day the government wants to um, promote new build new buildings um especially mixed use buildings that um will make a turnover because that's good for the economy so of course there is ways to go around rules and a lot of times they close an eye on a lot of regulations in order for the projects to go ahead and actually work out so of course it depends on which country um i'm talking about more europe uh based um network <laughs> here um but yeah it's definitely possible and i think that if architects were spending less time networking with architects and more time networking with real estate developers and and political side of things it's it might be more beneficial yeah like i am um, i agree i think it is good to kind of definitely expand your network when i was in new york actually i used to i kind of became a bit friendly with AOC, so Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, in um, just at, just as she was getting re-elected, I was actually I was at her inauguration, and we spoke a lot about uh, like the Green New Deal. And at the time, I was doing research into Amazon's headquarters HQ two in New York, and I was you know hanging around a lot. And we talked a lot about this you know, the new Amazon headquarters. And at the time, it was a big issue. Ollie, you might remember in the beginning of November, and then it eventually got cancelled. And it got moved out, and this was mainly due to the, the DSA, the, the Democratic Socialists of America, which who I, uh, well, I was kind of researching and I was members of at the time, and I went to their meetings, and I was really intrigued because like they were having such a profound effect on the urban planning, uh, because you know if Amazon's put their new headquarters in Long Island, then it was going to have a crazy effect on that part of New York, and you know, I was talking to AOC about how. You know, it was unsustainable and you know they weren't uh, totally against amazon because amazon already existed in the city but they thought it should go somewhere else and that was my project was i was designing a new place for it to go and i worked with the eco-socialists they're called who were basically running uh, parts of brooklyn well they were elected in parts of brooklyn and the aoc in in the bronx and she was a yeah, political powerhouse right at the beginning of 2019 and then i was kind of making tracks of like actually getting the new Amazon headquarters built in in South Brooklyn instead but 
I had to move back to the UK to finish my masters. But, but that was amazing. That was so um, accessible. I think the US has a slightly different thing where you have these kind of rock star politicians who do have a bit more of a you know, profile um, rather than in the in the UK. But definitely, like these people have profound effects on what our cities look like. And that was one of the issues with something like HQ2 is that no one really consulted architects. It was all done by, you know, the city's kind of finance minister and they were just put kind of a proposal of, oh, this is what Amazon's going to be and it's going to be on this social housing and we're going to get rid of these hospitals and schools and stuff. And uh, that's kind of where architects we could actually have huge effects. And um, yeah, you're right. And I just got to know AOC, uh, yeah, by going to the DSA meetings and then being invited to inauguration and just you can talk to them directly and you can have profound effects. And that's, that's in the US where these people are you know, way more uh, well protected than you know, the UK. Um, but yeah, in the UK, it, the planning, the planners basically have all the power and then it's down to you building a good reputation with the planners. But a lot of the time, the people just want to do what's best. So as long as you can kind of convince people and you can market yourself and you brand yourself that you're actually going to do good for the world, um, you know, people can kind of get on board. But yeah, you're right. I think, uh, yeah, there has to be some conversing with, with politicians. And uh, I mean, those, they have most of the effects that we kind of want to happen. And uh, definitely in terms of funding, that's where a lot of uh, money comes from as well. Okay. Arctic, uh, yeah, if that helps politicians. I don't know if that'd be good or bad. I feel like Arctics would be good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I did. Ah, oh, yeah. I can do with the, the stress. It would just be yeah, all yeah, the hate yeah. that you'd get. <laughs> That's the other thing. At least we can kind of turn away. But yeah, it is. It is an interesting one where the most powerful people in the world are really, you know, the richest people. You know, who would really actually care what Bill Gates said if he wasn't actually the richest person? in the world and he's talking about sustainability and things whereas um you know that actually creating the industries and creating the opportunities and then they're the ones lobbying the, the governments it's uh yeah it's we, we can make huge amounts of change i think as architects we can definitely have the abilities and it's also kind of putting yourself out there and uh, and meeting these people Interesting uh, component. Um, Jeff, I've seen you've been in the crowd. I don't want to leave you hanging for too long. So uh, if you have a question or something you want to add, jump in. Thank you, Ali, for calling me up. Um, I actually wanted to weigh in on this conversation. I actually do run a model similar to Will's, well, a little bit of a hybrid model. Our model is more that we do some of our own development, but at the same time, we do a fee-based architecture even for our own developments to ourselves, because there's always partners involved in other companies instead of actually running in a profit sharing at the end, we actually buy our own property as a secondary owner, and then we'll hire our own company to do our own architecture on that component. You know, we are to hire an architecture company regardless. And one of the things that we found that allowed us to do is that we actually allows us to expand the role for strategy because since the entities are entirely separate and operating independently, then they allow us to expand their own entities independently of each other. Therefore, they're not linked together. So for instance, our development wing can go borrow money on its own merit through banks because it's not an architecture company asking for money, which they don't look very 
um, kindly on. Uh, we found that from banks that give us a very hard time as they're coming as the architect. But if we come as a developer and showing them that we have a track record, they're very easily to give money that way. Um, that's what we found. Um, I do believe that the biggest issue in our industry and the biggest issue that we're facing is the lack of education within the actual uh, system. They do not teach architects anything about business modeling or anything about operating an actual business. They teach us architecture and they glorify the aspects of the design and they forget about the fact that we do have to run our companies ultimately. Um, and that, I believe, is the biggest detriment to our, our, our industry. And I think that has to be changed on the educational level drastically instead of glorifying purely design. But there has to be some education on, on knowledge of operating a company and finances and other things that go into a typ typical re development, which is not purely design related. I'm definitely speaking. Yeah, I think it's, uh, that's a kind of underlying theme here now is, is like, you know, educating architects a, a lot earlier on some of this stuff. I see you're also based in New York and New Jersey, and I see that there are like a, a, an interesting group of, of architects like yourselves that are doing that architect developer approach. Um, it seems super interesting. I'll definitely check uh, your website as Rise Architecture, right? Yeah, that is correct. We actually operate now in eight states. We've expanded our development into three states. So where every single place we do development, we decide to open up a new office there and the development kind of supports our local office and then the office could kind of take off on its own merit at that point. So Jeff, but you are an architect, so tell us how did you educate yourself <laughs> if you so, didn't get it through school? That's, that's a great question. I, I, I've, again, I grew up in a family that was had a financial backing, so a little bit we understood and listened to finances, but we, we a lot of times, you know, architects sit in meetings and they start talking about the finances and the other aspects that goes into the development deal and the architect kind of like tunes out. Listen to everything that goes on. You'll be quite surprised how fast you learn about the finances. I was sitting in meetings and a client's telling them that trying to argue with them about who's going to pay for certain parts of the project. I was like, just do yourself a favor and keep quiet. I'll get here in five minutes, you know? We forget that we need to know everything that goes into the design. Our job as an architect is to hear and see everything across the board, from finances to construction to structural to mechanical across the board. And a lot of times we, we forget to listen because we think we think our job is this design. We have to understand that our job is to understand everything. And the more we listen and the more we pay attention to everything that's going on in the room, you learn very quickly what goes on behind the scenes. Couldn't agree more. Thanks, Jeff. Cool. And I see we've got... Oh, Will, do you want to jump in there? That's good. I was just saying that that's... Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I think, uh, like you said, it's uh, yeah. You either get it through osmosis, or um, but yeah, I think I think it's good that you kind of scales up because I guess you you weren't doing mega projects initially, and then you, you start on a small scale and you kind of keep keep going up. But then yeah, like you said, the developers are so much easier to get money because it's a pretty straightforward project where you say, oh yeah, I'm going to build this house and or this project, and you'll get money. Whereas yeah. You, made a good point that as an architect it's very unreliable and there's also no exit strategy for an architect it's very difficult to just you can't create a scale like a selling the company it doesn't you know BRK for instance can't sell BRK Ingalls Group because it wouldn't really make that much sense if uh, you know if it wasn't there as much and um, so in some ways we're kind of most architectural models are self-employed but then like you said as the uh, by having that paired with a property development company it's so much easier to find either people to debt to loan to you uh, if you can kind of guarantee what projects you're doing or people who are just going to invest anyway and uh, and hope that one day you might 
we're going to IPO or, or or sell the company. And that's how most companies work. Um, yeah, because that's that's the difference between most startups. You know, most startups, you know, they're not looking to be the next Amazon. They just want to get bought by Amazon, or they want to get bought by Apple, which is slightly different for us because we can't start an architecture company and then you know our exit strategy isn't to IPO. There's no yeah, bought, companies bought on the stock exchange really. Only does a couple before they go bust. That's when it's getting. Yeah, exactly. Those ones. So yeah, exactly. So that's what we we said before. Yeah. Like plant prefab, like this architecture company in California plant. They had a prefabrication company that got bought by Amazon. I think it's also Sidewalk feels Labs bit, as well. It feels a bit hollow to start something to and, just... Um, I, I, get, I get it, but to just get bought by this one of these giants, but mm. you know, it's, it's an avenue. I know. I think that's... You, you probably wouldn't go down there, but definitely if uh, for fundraising, when, it, when you have a sort of exit strategy possible, where you say potentially a company could it might get bought eventually if you know if the shareholders decided that they wanted to sell i mean that just get a little bit more complicated but it means that it's easier to find funding for companies that have these kind of business plans like you said and a scalable business plan like you said going into different states quite quite quickly yeah um interesting um yeah. i know we'll do uh one more question if anyone's got a question raise your hand but nignas i see you are in the Raise your hand. You like to, yo. Hi, Ali. How again. are you? Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thanks for the room. I just have. Thanks so much. Um, I just wanted to, along the same long line, I wanted to add a point and my own experience. So I've started. I've talked to some of you about my own startup, AC Plastic. It's been a couple of months. I've started it, but I, I just learned one of my learnings is that it takes a lot for a startup to get to a point to either get acquired by another company or uh, monetize and make good money it just takes a lot of time you know and a lot of energy of course and sometimes a really long time you know it could be a couple of years and it should be something that if anyone wants to do it it should be something that you uh, you're super passionate super duper passionate about i mean no way to give up you just keep going and um you know at some point you will either get acquired or uh, make money but another like uh, relatively quick way to make money for some of us is so the same time that I started my uh, I started working on my idea two of my friends uh, got this fixer upper property in LA and uh, remodeled it they both they are both architects and at the time they were working for an architecture firm uh, so they bought the place and it was like a not a not a like good looking place at all they worked on it now it's like gorgeous and they put it on airbnb and now they are so and gradually they expanded so they were making really good money um it's in a in a good part of a very popular part of la so they were making good money they bought another place they expanded so they got it. And the way it works is that you apparently I'm like learning these things from it, from them that you can register an LLC and then the LLC does that for you. So if like worst case scenario, something happens, you can quickly cancel the LLC. So anyways, now they are making uh, anywhere from like 10K to 20K <laughs> per month. And they both like quit their architecture jobs in 
their architecture firms and now they are doing that full time and they just bought two pieces of land in another part of LA which is not expanded yet um and they are designing these like gorgeous houses and they want to continue I mean as architects we always want to build design and build things from scratch we not all of us are necessarily interested in a in the fixer upper business but I just wanted to add that that could potentially be something that is pretty lucrative and profitable and some of us can work on it so just wanted to add that this is great thank you so much for mentioning that because I think that not many people think about it because it feels like uh unachievable but it's a very smart um way to do it and and thank you for the example because i think it's it will open some eyes to a lot of people yeah thank you julia actually i was at another friend's place yesterday and she's from germany and she has bought this place in bay you know in the bay area building adus are becoming very popular so she had bought she bought this beautiful place in i mean it was not beautiful but she bought it in uh, oakland in bay area and then now she and she designed herself and she was telling me how she thinks like americans don't have good taste in design and as someone from germany she could see this beautiful house and she's she was not even an architect she saw this beautiful house immediately so she bought a place and now she has the her own place and she built one adu and um another uh she she built another part of the house as a separate unit so she has two airbnb now in her place and her own place and um she's making and she she it's like a, it, it's even a side job for her but she's making really good money that's really good that's good to hear. I think um, as well, like you said, it's just uh, finding the, the right places because I think as architects, we kind of forget that we have this vision that, you know, we kind of take for granted if we're kind of always surrounded by architects that we can actually see like model in 3D in our heads or see like, the, the potential in a lot of uh, things that a lot of I don't know, less creative people might not see. So, um, yeah, like you said, definitely for fixer or nothing. Some people might look at it and think, oh, this looks like a, a nightmare or we can't see that what we can see. And um, and then, yeah, like you said, it's there's a bit less risk about the permitting or the, the actual construction side of it. And also, um, you know, when I worked on site, you get just by being in the building, even if you did some of the work yourself, you know, just for for fun you can learn so much more about detailed design and you know that the how plaster actually feels and to have the paint work and you know, your, your actual design ability proves uh, immensely when you're really handling these materials and on site much more in-depthly rather than yeah, in practice where you may only go on site you know a couple of weeks so yeah um, i went i went through the exact win-win. same thing i was a laborer like as a teenager and and in university as well it's it was like the perfect job in between school and university you get basically yeah you get paid work out all day and you get paid quite well for like the age you're at and you know as as an architect you get to learn like all these how stuff is actually built um I mean, mine was, I was doing more like barn conversions down in Devon and Cornwall. But um, yeah, you do learn a lot by, by doing those kind of jobs. So, and yeah, for anyone in the UK, you can also register yep. as your PEDR, so your professional 
educational development record. So it goes towards your actual I think you know, I did registration speak of some in that. I can't remember actually. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And you're getting paid better than you would do in practice. And it's and it's just and a, you're getting in you know, eight hours for free. So. Overtime, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Be outside. It's definitely um that 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 helps helps a lot. Yeah. But yeah, if it was your own house it's even better because then you um you know, you'd get paid by the, the end. Awesome, yeah. Outcome. I think we've covered some uh, a lot of really interesting points. Um, I don't want to keep you guys for too much longer. Um, but yeah, I think um, we've covered a lot of different kind of potential avenues. I really see the future of practice being like a mix of all these things. Um, hopefully we'll start to see a lot more kind of Aki-based uh, startups. I know that's a huge thing in the VC world right now. Um is is kind of uh, build tech or I forget what the word is now. Yeah, build tech or construction tech. Um, Contech. It's Contech, Ollie. It's Contech and Prop. I feel we need a new one, Aki. Property uh, tech uh, and construction tech. Aki tech. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, uh, I obviously one of the overriding themes here has been education around these topics uh, at a year earlier stage or, or, or in supplementary entry to working in practice and i know will and julia you both are in the space so i don't know if you have uh, a, a upcoming course or something you'd love to plug if now uh put it out there yeah um i'm gonna start a new youtube channel which is gonna talk about um business development and finance so if you want to make sure that you know when it comes out uh, just follow me on instagram or on linkedin um, either way you will be notified and you'll see some videos out there so this is me julia awesome um yeah i'm just about to start a new course called sustainable ai for architecture where um uh, it's with a company called gritnova global campus and it's an online thing based in Dubai, but we have some really good uh, sort of specialists from Grimshaw as well, Perkins and Acom and things. And we're sort of looking into computational design. And uh, I'll be doing a piece on about monetizing these sorts of things and also about sustainability. So it's on critnova.com. They do a lot of kind of tech-based stuff and uh, now doing more architecture things. It's a Sounds like we call. should tune in. So. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, Julia, we are also in the process of starting our own YouTube channel here at Architect Network. I'm literally recording a few videos as we, not as we speak, but uh, <laughs> just before this. So we'll definitely connect on the YouTube front. Um, so yeah, everyone be sure to give Will and Julia a follow here on Clubhouse and also on the Instagram pages to all the stuff they're doing. Uh, otherwise, Will, Julia, thank you so much for joining us. I think this has been a really interesting one. As usual, Faisal and Guillaume, thank you for, for joining as moderators as well. Um, we will be back next week with some topic TBD. But uh, yeah, as usual, we'll be back at the same time next Sunday. Um, yeah, once again, thank you, Will and Julia, and we'll see you guys. We'll see you guys next week, and everyone have a thank good you. Sunday. Thank you so much. Great. Thank Thanks, you. Bye bye. Thank Thanks, you so guys. much for having Bye. Us. bye. bye, -bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs>